0: A very warm welcome, everybody. You're watching Squawk Box. In your headlines this morning, Wall Street plunges in its worst sell-off in more than two years, with the Dow diving 1,200 points, while the two-year Treasury yield rockets to levels not seen since 2007. Well, that comes after a hotter-than-expected CPI print of 8.3%, raising expectations the Federal Reserve could look to hike interest rates by 100 basis points at its next meeting.
1: It's this notion the Fed doesn't really know how much it needs to do. I think that's what spooks the market. So is it so much about 25 basis points extra eight days from now? Not really. It's more about what do we expect six months out, nine months out, a year out.
2: Elsewhere, Germany's cabinet prepares to approve an extended state support program for troubled energy providers. This ahead of Ursula von der Leyen's State of the Union address today.
0: You can only justify these measures with the war economy environment in which we find ourselves. This is something every responsible politician or
1: official would usually work on in a time frame of two years, and we're doing it in just a few weeks.
3: Meanwhile, Twitter shareholders approve Elon Musk's $44 billion takeover, while a whistleblower tells U.S. lawmakers of major security flaws at the social media platform and warns that regulators are ill-equipped.
4: The FTC is is a little, you know, over their head. They've, They've compared to the size of the big tech companies and the challenge they have against them, they're left letting companies grade their own homework.
0: So, a very warm welcome to the programme this morning. Such was the significance, I think, of the overnight uh, inflation data and the market's response that this morning the producers have asked us to come to the wall to talk about this significance. And it was a big points move, wasn't it?
3: Dramatic. I mean, the market was expecting the core to be higher. So there was an expectation, but it was much higher than anticipated. So I think everybody thought they would priced in the worst case scenario around 75 basis points in terms of the rate move expected because of inflation. But what they had, maybe they didn't think about 100 basis points as a potential.
2: I think it's mildly pathetic what's going on, to be honest. I've got to be honest, the herd is putting all its eggs and baskets into one print on a monthly basis, and that is on CPI as well. Surely the market should be more nuanced and more sophisticated uh, than to just think, oh, Great. Inflation print's going to be lower. We're going to have a four-day rally where we're going to go absolutely gangbusters with risk on. Actually, the print was mildly different from what was expected by some, not from all of us, I hasten to add. Mm. Uh, And as such, we're going to have the seventh largest Dow decline in history. Mm. I, I think it's really quite worrying actually how the herd is coalescing around one narrative at the moment. And I show—I think it shows a lack of sophistication from many market players. I notice there's a lot of calls for deflation out there as well, but and that will, may well happen at a historic moment in the future, but there's a hell of a lot of inflation to go through first. And I think it's extraordinary that some people who are long aggressively in the market, who have got it stunningly wrong in the market are now calling deflation when we've had one of the biggest core prints since 1982, I think it shows Really, really uh, pretty sad rationale. I saw it on our, our our sister channel in the States yesterday, there were a lot of pundits, some of them working for CNBC, who are just desperate for this market to go up, rather than actually thinking what the real economics are underneath it.
0: Well, it certainly wasn't the pivot that a lot of those people were looking for, was it? Let, let's just walk you through the data so you're on the same page as we are, in case you missed it yesterday. Wall Street saw its worst day since June 2020 after US inflation came in. hot than expected then dashing hopes for a peak in price pressures. And if I just wander along the wall here, you get a good snapshot of the key numbers. August CPI rose by 0.1% month on month, bucking expectations for the slight decline that many had pencilled in. Core prices stripping out food and energy costs jumped by 0.6% versus July. So you've got your 0.1%, you've got your... 0.6. Ultimately, that led to a CPI number at 8.3% year-on-year that, as you can see from the market reaction, wasn't baked into the price.
2: What wasn't baked into the price is that there are still fools out there who think that headline and core are on two different parallel planets. And again, it's something I've said time and time again. If you up energy costs aggressively, by the way, they didn't this time around. They came down aggressively. That's what everyone was pinning their hopes on. And if you up food costs aggressively, guess what, everybody? It has a knock-on effect. It's the same people who were desperate for the pivot yesterday who were the ones who say, oh, it's only transitional. It's just a few supply chain problems. But if they persist long enough, it becomes a game of whack-a-mole. That's why OER's owner equivalent rents yesterday uh, were, was the latest figure to upset everyone. Look at, look at the, how everyone's desperate to find a core which doesn't include anything that me- is meaningful. Look, so there's the core core, isn't there? What, what is this one? If you strip out energy, <laughs> shelter, food, used cars and trucks, Well, come on everybody, you start stripping all that lot out, is is it really worth the, the paper it's written on? the consumer price index. Anyway, they still rose 6.3% when you stripped out everything that they're desperate to strip out.
3: I feel obliged to do the counter-argument here. Good luck. Which is that uh, these elements that you pointed out were ones that saw the supersized reactions during the pandemic or now subject to other factors, uh, the war in Ukraine impacting the energy price, and of course, uh, food as well. So I think what the market is trying to get a handle on... Rent and shelter is
2: affected by Ukraine.
3: Well, rent, I think, is another supersized COVID trend to It's 24% of CPI.
2: How is OER anything to do with Ukraine?
3: No, I'm saying for various different factors, it's one or the other. There are just anomalies for these different parts of the market. I mean, airlines, we're still seeing the COVID situation impact supply as well in terms of staffing and people wanting to get back out there. So I think the market's trying to just extrapolate out. If you take away all these factors, what's the underlying demand story? Has the Fed had any success in stopping some of this excess demand? And what they're saying is, well, no. If you look at the core, we're still elevated there. So we're looking at expectations on inflation and we're looking at supersized demand really stretching out beyond. just these bits we could explain away for various different reasons as anomalies and stare through a high inflation figure so they're saying you need to tackle it because we've got entrenched inflation out in the system
0: yeah I mean look uh, the the point that Steve's making I think is well understood that over the, the decades politicians have not been able to resist the urge of jiggering around with the data to try I mean in in the name of removing volatile components which they argue oh well we don't need to take in into account maybe a one or two month spike because that is about um, extraneous factors and what we need to do is smooth the number and what they then do is take out certain elements in the data. We've seen the same thing with the unemployment numbers as we've seen with the inflation data and ultimately the goal they argue legitimately is to smooth out the figures to give a more realistic projection of what's going on. But what they've also done quite frankly is made it very difficult to compare apples and apples and oranges and oranges over different periods because they continue to play with the data to make it more politically acceptable. Well, unfortunately, in terms of the data yesterday, there was no way that you could deny that overall there are excessive inflationary pressures across the board in the US economy and they have not eased in spite of, uh, as you were pointing out, Steve, a lot of market commentators wanting... that. That to be so, so because there was a lot they of are hope. The market. There were a lot of hope and omics going it. into this piece of data, and quite frankly, uh, it, it didn't match up to expectations.
2: Look, everyone's got a hustle. Yeah, let's be totally honest about it. It's a market. Let's be honest about capitalism. Everyone's got a hustle. So when people come on our channel saying there's going to be deflation if the Fed does this, they do, they're doing the wrong thing. They're doing it because they're long the market very often. Let's be brutally honest about it. There are some brilliant souls out there who are telling us exactly what they feel, regardless of their position. But let's face it, if you are long a massive amount of growth stocks and you have got it badly wrong and you are down massive double digit for the year, you are clinging on to anything you can get your hands on at the moment, including well, deflation. Well, there may well be deflation. History says at some stage there could well be. But actually, there's a couple of factors I said you might not get it this time, including the reshoring shorter production line argument and deglobalization. But we won't go there on that one just yet as well. And my final point is you just raise my eye once again, uh, and that is when it suits when it suits we will strip out energy because it's going on the upside, but they were all happy to strip out energy, put energy back in yesterday because they thought it was going to be a massive deflator compared with the previous level because mm-hmm. gasoline prices have come off from 5 bucks 14 on the 14th of June down to three seventy now as well, so they were very happy to use energy as part of the bigger mix when it suits to the downside. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? The whack-a-mole didn't work because rents and other things started, started to hurt. I've got to move on, apparently.
3: I just wanted to pick up on the point on saying that. You can. You can do what you
2: like today. It's your birthday.
3: <laughs> it does Take us to the bridge around what the market does Happy from here. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. You're Thank you. Well, uh, you did spoil me this morning, by the way, helping uh, inflation as well. First time in 10 years I've remembered it. Not bad, is it? <laughs> not bad for a work husband. Uh, what we have Team seen work there on... Yes, exactly. Well, well thank you very much. <laughs> what I, we can say about sentiment, though, I think there were some in the market that had a sense of relief because they have been pointing to the fact you've got this market rally that is unsustainable, so we're not being dragged off the sidelines. And you've had a market that's been very aggressive to the upside, so there must be that sense of relief that they were wrong and the market corrected back to the lower positions. The other point is, what happened? happens to volatility from here because we'd sort of settled in this nice pattern of trading higher session after session, getting back off the low end of the ranges. Now we've just gone right back with one fell sweep, a very big size move to the downside. What does that do to volatility and market sentiment from here? I would say people are a little bit unsettled going into year end now thanks to a jumbo size move to down markets.
2: Final word for Karen there. Let's move on. This stronger-than-expected report is driving some to forecast the Fed could hike by 100 basis points at its meeting next week. To be fair, it would be more useful if you'd have said that beforehand rather than afterwards, because everyone's now going to jump on that bandwagon. Anyway, Nimura was the first to change its call, saying markets underappreciate the, quote, magnitude of response that will be needed from the Fed in order to get inflation under control. Traders now forecast a more than 30% chance of a full percentage point hike, according to the CME's... Fed watch tool. Uh, The former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers said he would also lean towards a 100 basis point hike over a smaller 50 basis point move.
3: Speaking to CNBC, Michael Schumacher, head of macro strategy at Wells Fargo Security, said there is now confusion over the future path of normalisation.
1: We think about it and talk about it and say 75 is sort of a given. Well, think about that for a second. 75 basis point hike people are taking for granted. This is incredible. A few months ago, it would have been completely off the radar screen. Now it's almost commonplace. So it's this notion the Fed doesn't really know how much it needs to do. I think that's what spooks the market. So is it so much about 25 basis points extra eight days from now? Not really. It's more about what do we expect six months out, nine months out, a year out? Is it 430, which is what the market price is today for the terminal rate? Is it something like 5%? We're just not all that sure. And more importantly, the Fed doesn't seem all that sure. I think that's what's scaring people.
2: Well, he's clearly right, that gentleman, isn't he? There is no prescription at the moment that we can see as a mapped out route for this is the rate hikes you're going to get here, this is when we're going to abate, and this is when uh, we are going to start moving in the opposite direction. There is no prescription at the moment, and that is what is unsettling, because the market for too long, for the last decade or so, certainly on this side of the Atlantic with the drag you put, has been so used to people just holding our hands and p- appearing, if not actually being, but appearing to have some form of omnipotence so that they can control the direction of travel, of the economics. And we know that's clearly not the case from history, those of us that look at history. 4% lower the Dow. That was the seventh largest points decline in the history of the Dow. 1,200 points, 1,276 there. S&P was down uh, 177, 4.3%. The Nasdaq got it on the chin down 5.2%. Quick look at the Treasuries. Let's have a quick look. It was the short end that rallied the most aggressively in terms of yield. 3.77, one of the biggest moves we've seen. Uh, Levels we've seen on the two-year in in, in over a decade as well. The uh, benchmark ten-year not really moving that aggressively. Three point four two. Current tech stocks.
3: And let's just take a close look at those tech names that fell aggressively. The 5.2% off the NASDAQ, in particular, communication services, one of the hardest hit areas of the market at a sector level. If you take a look at the action that you saw, down much more aggressively than other parts of the market to the point of 5.6%. Best performing utilities was only down about 2.7%. And this is the split. You can see Apple. Don't forget Apple's been one of the big stocks moving to the upside in recent sessions. It was to the downside in session for the NASDAQ and On the S&P, the biggest weight, uh, 5.8 plus percent for that stock. Microsoft also trading lower. We've not seen a lot of leadership from that stock of late, but uh, certainly moving south. Netflix down 7.7 percent. The one that really jumped out there was Meta, shedding much more than the rest of the sector, down 9.3 percent. Other high flyers, uh, the ARK Innovation Fund was actually down fairly aggressively too, about 6.8 percent. Tesla, the big stock as we talk about that, was down to the tune of 4 percent. Well, let's get more on the rest of the market action and across to Asia with JP Ong, who joins us now from Singapore. Uh, JP, how's the market looking there today in the back of this action in the United States?
4: Well, first off, Karen, uh, happy birthday to you. And unfortunately, this is not the birthday gift we wanted to give you. There is a red tide hitting markets and equities in Asia, and we have to thank Wall Street also. Traders here and investors waking up to that plunge on Wall Street, that hardly expected CPI report, the uh, the dollar flexing expectations of an outsized rate hike back on the table. It seems everybody at the poker tables here have now folded. Take a look at the Nikkei 225, falling by 2.7% out in Tokyo to 27,842. They're watching out for that rate differential once again between the Fed and the Bank of Japan. It's the same with the South Korean Cosby, which also took on some weakness today, 1.4% in the red. Chip makers like Samsung and SK Hynix, which were really riding high this time last year, while they were among the notable losers out in Seoul. Over my shoulder, it's not looking that much greater. Down under the ASX 200, day also falling by 2.4%. This also coupled with the potential global economic slowdown that could also weigh on minerals and the demand for resources that comprise a significant chunk of the ASX 200 in Sydney. Um, Shanghai and Shenzhen also dealing with continued COVID-19 woes, and you're seeing also both, co- both uh, indices or benchmarks in mainland China down by more than 1%. And today, also, uh, despite the fact that there is some good news for some companies that did not actually help them avoid the drop, take a look at the Hang Seng. We did hear from Tencent and NetEase. They actually got the approval to issue new video games for the first time in 14 months. That did little to stop the decline in the Hang Seng tech index for those companies, and the Hang Seng also down by more than 2.5%. The TIEX. We had TSMC, and there were reports today that Apple is going to use their next generation chips in their next uh, iPhones and MacBooks next year, but that did little to arrest TSMC's uh, decline. That's the world's largest contract chip maker. TIEX also down by about 1.5%. We go into some of the uh, emerging markets here also. The Jakarta Composite is actually one of the best performers in the Asia-Pacific this year, up 11% year-to-date, but no love in Indonesia, no love in Jakarta today. They're down by about 8 tenths of a percent so far. But there is some signs of a little bit of hope with moment and some breathing room when you look at the FX space. The dollar index was flexing, but they're also taking a breather after really hitting markets hard. You're seeing here that the Japanese yen is starting to find its footing now at about a 143 spot 70 against the US dollar. The Korean one also finding its footing now at 1,389. And the Singapore dollar becoming some semblance of a bit of a safe haven, a bit of stability actually at one spot forty, but you're seeing weakness for the Chinese yuan, the Indonesian rupiah and the uh, and well the Aussie dollar actually taking just a little bit of strength. But overall it's been a very difficult time. Mike Tyson once said, Everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And so far, people, investors, and markets here are reeling actually. And they're trying to go back to the corner, take a breather, and hope that this is the last of this barrage of haymakers coming from market sentiment right now and all that uncertainty. Wow. Guys,
0: to you. wow, JP, loving the boxing illusions. Thank you very much indeed for that. Well, let's get on to Ben Emons, uh, Managing Director for Global Macro Strategy at Medley Global Advisors. <laughs> ben, good morning to you. Um, there are obviously a lot of people in the market who felt that inflation was topping out and felt that that meant it was fine to go back into the water. Um, what do you think this latest piece of information on inflation now tells us about the duration of higher
5: inflation prints. Good morning. Um, yeah, it certainly tells us that inflation is much stickier and much more persistent in the states than the people that you mentioned ex- were expecting. You know that the idea that inflation is peaking is, in my view, a theory rather than a reality because it's not just owner's equivalent rent that is, you know, going up because that's a, an element of just the economy as it gets stronger and people. Looking for housing, but you know, new cars and used cars prices, for example, that people thought would, were peaking, are not at all. Because it's a given good, as they say, right? The demand for a good like that goes up, even though the price goes up because people need a car. It seems to be quite relentless, and you can add on to a lot of other these similar items like insurance and other items, and you get into a very sticky basket. And this Atlanta Fed actually publishes that basket called Sticky CPI. And that went up again to about 6.1, 6.2 percent. So it just shows that we're in a momentum inflation, sorry, yeah, momentum of inflation that's unabated. So I think it's a sticky picture. And for here, the last for into next year, at least. But you've got these um, these grand
0: investors like Cathy Woods with her growth portfolio or or Jeffrey Gundlach with his bond portfolio, arguing that deflation is now more of a risk than inflation and you should be taking active positions to prepare yourself for that. Do these people have unusual insight or are they working off the same information we are and actually it's not clear that deflation will be a problem sooner rather than later?
5: I think they're working off the same information that we all have. I I get the idea that if you you know tighten policy enough and if you push it hard enough then we'll just get to a tipping point where we flip from this inflation all the way back down to deflation because well the economy is over levered we have aging demographics we have a lot of savings all those types of ideas from the pre-pandemic suddenly come to four and we're back to completely deflation everywhere now i would acknowledge that the U.S. economy has a lot of competition in itself, and if indeed everywhere sl- sales are slowing and the economy slow, that that excess inventory gets be, you know, discounted, and we've seen some of that in the retailers. But that's not to be said in this situation. We're dealing with too much persistent pressures that not just only homegrown in the states, but also coming from Europe, coming from Asia. So I think that deflation argument is something that yes, it could happen if we're getting a hard landing some point in the future. I don't see this happening, you know, let's say, in a cyclical horizon, really, because we have to make up ground with tightening anyway, which is not far enough, tight enough to actually call for deflation So I'd say, no, stick with the inflation scenario and build your portfolio around a Federal Reserve and other central banks having to tighten a lot more to get it really under control.
3: Ben, I want to talk about that rate tightening because what's different over 24 hours is that we now have no chance of pricing the markets of a 50 basis point move, but we do have a 38% chance that there will be a 100 basis point move, although the base scenario is still for 75 basis points at this stage. But some of the market participants who are pushing back against that uh, extra jumbo size move are saying it would send a message of a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, Nomura not on that page, though. They're saying uh, that uh, some people really underappreciate the magnitude of response. What do you make? I mean, 75 basis points at the time was considered a knee-jerk response and it's quickly been assumed by the market and uh, central banks beyond the Fed. Could 100 basis points be achieved by the Fed without spooking the market?
5: Yeah, so I think if you look at the speech from uh, Chris Waller on Friday, you know, he specifically mentioned that you know this is a fight that we we cannot back back away from, right? So he showed a significant amount of determination to get inflation back to two percent. Come high in hell, Water as another former vice chair, you know, candidly said, and it, it's really about that idea. I think what Nomura is getting at is that do not underestimate that they may debate at the table next week that. 100 basis points is warranted to really put a sledgehammer on inflation that we're dealing with now that just simply is more tenacious than even they themselves the fed had expected so it is actually a probability that's not unrealistic for that reason on the other hand it's also about communication so far what we've gotten was 50 or 75 data dependent And most of the FOMC members have coalesced around to 75 now, so they would have to perhaps communicate through media or other ways that they may be willing to do 100 basis points to extra give that signal that seems unlikely because that would cause a lot of volatility. But on the other hand, I do think there's determination in the Federal Reserve not only get inflation under control, but to do them what it takes. So this 100 basis points is not unrealistic.
2: I note your comment there about their communication, Ben. It was it was quite extraordinary during the closed period before the first 75 basis point hike. How magically everyone over the weekend decided it was going to be 75. And they were right. It was extraordinary. Uh, ben, um, I, I'm dismayed and slightly concerned uh, about all the growth scenario. And I know you've discussed it very briefly with Jeff. But there were some brilliant structural stories out there that we've been sold over the years that are... Regardless of the cycle, why are incremental changes from the previous assumptions in interest rates scuppering so aggressively some of the the great growth scenarios that we've been painted on this channel and others? I.e., were they really pups we were being sold or great growth stories, regardless of what the interest rate cycle was?
5: That could be either. I think that you know the idea of that we having in, in these growth stocks embedded a perpetual You know, string of high growth earnings and that therefore, you know, that's never going to really change no matter what. That's I think something that's embedded in the market because these companies are so well positioned, so strong, they can compete in any way. It doesn't matter what the environment really is. And that is probably why we've seen this really strong reaction in the semiconductors and chip stocks and other of those companies yesterday. In the end of the day, interest rates are a reflection of the economy as we speak. And the economy actually has firmed over the last period here in the United States. With that came inflation that's now stronger than people had anticipated up until yesterday. So I think we have to account for that. It's a combination of both. We do not have an economy that's in recession and we have higher inflation. So it should equate ourselves to a higher interest rate. And that, I think, then punctures those you know, excessive growth expectations that are probably too rosy still and therefore have to be adjusted down. And I'm talking about growth expectations and earnings in, in high growth stocks, as you, as you mentioned. We're going to wrap it up, Ben. Thanks so much
0: for joining us. A, a pleasure having your company this morning and your views on inflation. Uh, ben Imons, uh, Managing Director for Global Macro Strategy at Medley Global. Advisors, And for more on the growing talk of a full-point Fed hike next week, check out our subscription service CNBC Pro. The uh, Queen's Coffin arrives at Buckingham Palace ahead of her lying in state in Westminster Hall. Uh, Tanya will be with us shortly from Buckingham Palace. That's coming up next. The Queen's Coffin arrived in London Tuesday evening, making its way from RAF Northolt Airport to Buckingham Palace. Cheers, applause and tears greeted the hearse along the route. The Queen laid in rest in the palace overnight before being taken to Westminster Hall later today, where Her Majesty will lay in state before Monday's funeral. Let's get out to Tanya, who is at Buckingham Palace. And Tanya maybe you could tell us uh, both a little bit more about that remarkable journey last night to buckingham palace and then ultimately what we will see unfold today
6: Jeff good morning that's right the Queen's coffin arrived here approximately 8 p.m. last night it was a remarkable journey she was driven through West London thousands of people lined the streets, lined the roads. All the traffic was stopped as her coffin was driven by. People were paying their respects, some cheering, but mostly silent. And when the Queen's coffin arrived here at Buckingham Palace, she was greeted by King Charles III, the Queen Consort Camilla, and the rest of the royal family. But that was privately, privately done. A lot of people who were here at Buckingham Palace were very silent and it was very moving as she was seen driven in for the last time. Today at 14.22, the Queen's coffin will come out from just behind me. She's been resting in the bow room overnight where the Royal family have been able to privately pay their respects to her. The coffin will be led down here, down the mall and walking behind Jeff will be King Charles, will be Prince William, will be Prince Harry, will be Prince Edward, and Prince Andrew, the Duke of York and Princess Anne, the Princess Royal, who has not left her mother's side since the Queen passed last Thursday.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.